Fast forward to the end of 2024. Think of your goals. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you want to learn a new language, you absolutely should get Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. I absolutely love Babbel because their courses help me learn real-life conversational skills. It's so easy to learn how to order food, ask for directions, speak to the locals without having to consult language apps. Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Here's a special limited-time offer for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners, at babbel.com SPP. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com SPP. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com SPP. Rules and restrictions may apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. A podcast where we talk to smart people, but not necessarily done by smart people. That is an awesome question. This one goes down probably on one of my top five. Hey, I like nutrition. I like to eat food. This is the coolest thing ever. We're going to do this forever. I wish I paid more attention in that class. You know, I'm going to be honest. I don't understand that. As a man, I just, I don't get it. Welcome to smartpeoplepodcast.com. Hello and welcome to Smart People Podcast, conversations that satisfy your curious mind. Chris Dampier, you know it. Hey, listen, I want to start with this. Our episode this week is not salacious. It's not divisive. In fact, many would say it's not even that catchy, but I think it's really important. But I want to know what you think. Email me, chris at smartpeoplepodcast.com, specifically about this episode and about the topics we cover. I've been doing a lot of thinking about our podcast recently, and I'm just being open with you. And I do these things for the sake of learning something new, maybe bizarre. And oftentimes, I don't even know how it will directly benefit me to know these things, but that's kind of the beauty. But I realize that our attention is a very valuable resource, and many people might not feel the same way. And I'm happy to adjust maybe to find those topics that you really want to dig into. So let me explain our topic and why I chose it. This week, we are talking to Christopher Marquis. Now, he's a professor in sustainable global enterprise at Cornell University. His research has focused on how businesses are creating a more resilient or sustainable capitalism by focusing on what they call the triple bottom line. That's environmental, social, and financial performance. Now, specifically, we're talking about his brand new book. In fact, 
It's not even out yet, so I would pre-order it. It's called Better Business, How the B Corp Movement is Remaking Capitalism. Now, many people have probably never heard of B Corp. Uh, you might have never heard of its kind of cousin, which is Benefit Corporation. In fact, I learned about the B Corp certification years ago when I was working on my nonprofit, but I did not know the level of detail we talk about here. So again, getting back to my point, why did I want to talk about this subject? Well, essentially, I personally think that here in America, the idea of capitalism is failing us. Now, I don't mean that in an anarchist type way. I think capitalism has served its purpose. I think it's the best we've created thus far, but we need to evolve out of it. This is my opinion. It's why I've helped found a nonprofit. I also think the incentive structure of capitalism is there for a reason, and it has worked thus far for the most part. But this B Corp, or at least where we're going, is can we put financial goals at least on the same page as societal goals? And to me, that's what this episode is about. But you be the judge. And again, let me know. Chris at smartpeoplepodcast.com. Also, remember, you could have asked our guest this week a question or we have coming up the CEO of Radio Flyer, and you could have asked him a question as well if you are a Patreon supporter. So go to patreon.com slash smartpeoplepodcast. Look, two bucks a month, you get a special message that says, here's who's coming up on the podcast. Ask him a question. Here's the topics we're going to cover. How cool would that be? It's like a direct line to these people. Patreon.com slash smartpeoplepodcast. All right, let's get into it as we talk to our guest, Christopher Marquez, about his new book, Better Business, How the B Corp Movement is Remaking Capitalism. Enjoy. I want to have you on because, you know, I, I, I got an, a message about your brand new book, which is Better Business, How the B Corp Movement is Remaking Capitalism. And First, obviously, we'll talk about what a B Corp is for those that are unaware, but really my interest lies in this. Do you think that businesses that ultimately need to make money for the sake of solvency and, uh, and, and the people that work there, do you think they can put doing good as a top priority and actually survive and thrive? Yeah, I, well, I, I definitely do. Uh, otherwise, I, I may not have written, written the book, which that's really sort of the core message of the book is sort of how businesses can actually do that. You know, you have a lot of examples of it. I mean, from this large, I'll start with the large companies like Danone, you know, $30 billion company, uh, you know, their mission is to provide sort of health and nutrition to, to people around the world. And they've been really effective in, uh, in both the financial objectives, uh, you know, you know, meeting, you know, price per share, uh, et cetera. But then also, you know, through a variety of ways of, of really um, supplier uh, sort of interacting with suppliers in, effect, in effective ways, uh, being a really excellent employer, uh, and also delivering really good, healthy products for their consumers. So I think it's, you know, that's one way that business can actually do well and do good is actually just by sort of having sort of healthy, useful products, treating employees, treating suppliers, uh, in really responsible ways. And so I think that, you know, that's what every business, in my opinion, should be. So it's not like this is some separate s segment of business, but actually, you know, through uh, the, a variety of the tools that I talk about in the book from accountability, governance uh, standards, you know, every business can actually 
deliver social value in addition to financial value. It's not that they are really binary options, right? But what is your take or what does your research show about putting social good really at the forefront? Because if I want to be cynical, which I don't, and, and look, I'm just trying to play a little devil's advocate here, but if I wanted to, I would say, yeah, really, these people are just putting together a modern day PR campaign, which is all trickling down to help them make money. They're doing whatever these things are. And sure, there might be some benefit. But at the end of the day, if you're in the boardroom and it's a decision between make 10x and not have the social value or make 8x and have it, I think so many are going to just go to that 10x. So I'm hoping you can prove me wrong here. Yeah, that's certainly a good question. And I don't know. I think a lot of the companies that I study, if it's you know, if it's a question of 2x uh, between 10 and 8 and being able to deliver social value, they would definitely choose the being able to deliver social value. I think there's a couple, you know, reasons. One is that, you know, this is actually a much more long-term perspective, you know, treating your employees, consumers, suppliers, the stakeholders of the firm uh, in a really responsible way, you know, helps the firm for the long, uh, for the long term, you know, your employees stay longer, which has financial uh, impacts. If you have deeper relationship with your suppliers, you know, they, you know, if there's supply shortages, you know, you're the one who they're going to be um, uh, supplying to, you know, gain fine grain information about different aspects of the supply that might actually help help you formulate better products. Uh, I think that, you know, a number of the companies that I've talked to in the research for the book, uh, you know, a really good example is Allbirds, you know, Allbirds, you know, well-known, uh, you know, footwear brand and branching on to other products. You know, they were founded uh, to actually combat the sort of it's not fast fashion, fast fashion necessarily, but you know people buy all kinds, you know sneakers, shoes all the time, uh, and they're actually made with very, very environmentally damaging, um, you know either plastics or the way the le- uh, leather is treated. And they said, let's actually make a product, uh, a shoe, that actually can be environmentally sustainable. So that was sort of at the core of the mission when they uh, founded the firm. You know, it turns out that the most uh, damaging environmentally part of the shoe is the sole. Uh, so they went and researched uh, and created a sole technology, shoe sole technology um, that is carbon neutral. Uh, so, and, and I think in some cases, actually, it's even sort of positive. So it adds, you know, sort of takes takes carbon away uh, or carbon negative, probably is the right way to put that. Uh, and, it, and they did not, like many companies would do, sort of patent that technology. Uh, but they actually open sourced it. So they spent all the money R&D. And what they said is that, you know, this is something that is part of our mission of delivering more environmentally friendly footwear. And why would we patent this? Because we'd be very happy if other companies were to adopt this as well. So I think that, you know, there are a lot of businesses that, you know, it's not like they're not making any money, but where they actually do sometimes make trade-offs on the financial end to, to, to meet a larger mission or to connect with their stakeholders in a more long-term fashion. Allbirds is such a great example. And, and admittedly, I have never owned them, but I'm well aware of them and I've heard incredible things. I did not know about what you just mentioned. That's why I have experts on the show, right? <laughs> the thing about um, R&D and then just opening up. I mean, right. that is the type of stuff where you're like, look, you cannot say there's a financial incentive for that. So right. all the credit in the world. I do wonder, however, 
how much of it is a marketing strategy as opposed to it is a real belief that happens to have a marketing strategy benefit? Personally, I think that it starts with the real belief. Um, you know, you don't do things like give away the technology like that just as a marketing gimmick, I, I don't think. Uh, I think also, you know, there's so much, you know, you know, through through online, social media, you know, regular media, you know, if you actually are just doing things for marketing impact, uh, you know, you're going to be exposed as actually not being a sort of authentic actor and it's going to create even worse problems. Uh, for you. you know, there's this phenomena called greenwashing, where which I think is very much what you're getting at, where companies, you know, they, um, you know, sort of market themselves as green, uh, but actually do a bunch of maybe not so environmentally friendly, friendly things in their operations. Uh, and I think that, you know, consumers have become much more uh, sort of sensitive, much more new, much more sort of uh, cynical about large companies that I think that if, if you're going to be marketing the social impact, it's, it should be real or else you're going to be exposed in the long run. I'm an easy one to convince on this strategy. I mean, those that listen, no, I spent, I don't know, five plus years of my life in fairly prime earning years, founding a nonprofit and, and not making hardly anything. And, and frankly, it was one thing that I'm most proud of and enjoyed. So I, I truly do understand that it can be there. I feel like that's where this B Corp aspect comes in a little bit. So for those that don't know or haven't caught up yet or whatever, tell us a little bit about what a B Corp is and also why did you decide to write an entire book about it? <laughs> sure. Thing. Good, good, good question. Uh, so first of all, what a B Corp is, it's a, you know, it's a company, so not a nonprofit, but a company like Allbirds is an example or Danone, which I mentioned, uh, and Danone is a number of subsidiaries that are B Corps. And this company, their social and environmental performance has been certified um, by a nonprofit. So you've probably heard of many certifications like Fair Trade, Organic, Lead, which are about certain products. And at least to my knowledge, the B Corp is the only certification that is sort of about the whole company, the company uh, operations. And so, you know, they have to go through a rigorous uh, sort of qualifications process, you know, such that actually there's a pretty low number of B Corps, if you, um, at least to my mind, there's about 3,500 B Corps worldwide, actually half of them, uh, over half are outside the U.S. So this is not just a U.S. phenomena, this is a global phenomenon. Uh, you know, every, you know, Allbirds, Kickstarter, Casper mattresses, you know, those are some, you know, sort of caught sort of startup ones. You have uh, Athleta, the, you know, yoga uh, apparel brand of Gap. King Arthur Flower, the flower company that, you know, dates back to 1790, you know, um, you know, these are all sort of some examples of B Corps. The thing that I find really powerful about the model and why, why I wrote the book is that, you know, it's not just about B, B Corps, uh, if that, that makes any sense. The uh, model that they have has sort of two main components. So one is an accountability component. So the assessment that I just described and that's something any company can, can, can use. And, you know, the reason why I titled the book Better Business is that almost all the companies that I talked to said actually using this assessment, you know, forget about the social and environmental aspects actually helps me become, helps my company become a better business. And so, you know, many venture capital companies use it as part of their due diligence for, um, for investing in companies uh, and other companies use it that are not B Corps. As a, as a management tool. So, so it's a sort of something that goes beyond the B Corp 
uh, B Corp uh, set of 3,500 companies. The second point is that the founders of this movement uh, at, a, at a nonprofit called B Lab actually went and got the laws changed in the majority of U.S. states and actually now in a number of countries such as Italy and Colombia, Ecuador, uh, and the Canadian province of British Columbia, whereby um, there, there's a new type of company called a benefit corporation. And this type of company uh, sort of at its core uh, expects that the, the, the company will meet the needs of all stakeholders. It should actually focus on stakeholders, you know, not just uh, financial shareholders, which you know, the modern day regular corporation or C corporation uh, is primarily, you know, the primacy, um, the primary stakeholder is, is shareholders. So under this B corporation governance, uh, it's all sh- all stakeholders. And this is, you know, you know, at least 10,000 and probably a lot more. It's you know, companies incorporate by state. So it's hard to tabulate how many there are. But this is something that is spread all over the country and the world. And so these two components, I think, are really sort of the core of the book and how, you know, companies buy being more accountable in their social and environmental performance and having a governance system that is positioned to stakeholders uh, can actually be better managed for themselves and better managed for society. So let me make sure I have that right, because there was a nuance there that even I don't think I was aware of. You mentioned there are B Corps as a designation, and then there's a B Corp as a certification, and they're different. Is that right? No, no. So, so, so that's the, the uh, that's what makes them a B Corporation. It's it's having gone through the certification. So they went through the certification process. Uh, they went they went through this assessment. Okay. They got over a certain threshold, and they then became a B Corp. But there's a lot of other companies that use this assessment that are not B Corps. Okay. So when you said the 3,500. Yeah. What was that referring to? That's the number of B Corps. Oh, okay. Because then I thought you said it's hard to count because they're run by state. I'm sorry. So we have another thing. It's the benefit corporations. So that that is not a certification. That is a legal type of company like an LLC or a proprietorship or a C corporation. There's a new type of company called a benefit corporation. And that is separate from, it's we're created by the same sets of folks, but it is separate from a B Corp, which is a certification. So, uh, so you hear it. So, so it is a little bit, uh, it took me a while to wrap my head around it, uh, as well. Uh, but two, two different things. Uh, if you're a B Corp though, if you're a B Corp and you're in a a state or country that has benefit corporation legislation, you have to be a benefit corporation, but but there are many, many benefit corporations that are not B Corps. Okay, and that is essentially they they started with B Corp, I, I think the, these yep. the founders, right? And they made it a certification as as it started to catch on. They realized how we're really going to make a difference is if we can make this a type of corporation, and that exactly. led to the benefit corporation. And this is this is when I got really interested in it. You know, having been in some massive companies all the way to starting my own nonprofit, what I've noticed is the benefit of the benefit corporation is. Yeah. Legally, they are allowed, if not required, to look out for, as you said, stakeholders. And don't get that confused with shareholders. A lot of the argument against capitalism is, at the end of the day, the only thing legally that they have to do is look out for the bottom line, the financials. And and that is what hinders so many of them from making more socially conscious decisions. Is that fair? Oh, I think that's totally fair. I mean, that, that I think, you know, that 
what you just described to my mind, and again, that's a big reason why I wrote, wrote the book, is, is that is the root cause of so many problems in our world from right. in, inequality, environmental degradation. You know, and what you described, it sounds like that is sort of the natural way capitalism, capitalism is. And actually, that's totally not the case. You know, uh, it's frequently dated up to about 50 years before uh, when this guy, Milton Friedman, who was a famous economist at the U University of Chicago, wrote a piece actually in the New York Times magazine uh, called, I think it was called The Social Responsibility of Companies is to Make More Profits. And, and it actually started this movement towards shareholder primacy. You know, before that, uh, you know, companies looked out for their employees. There were generous pension programs, great benefits. You know, people would stay 25 years and get a gold watch. They're, you know, they were great community actors involved in, you know, local organizations. Uh, but this shift uh, about 50 years ago, you know, started us down this, this process where laws changed so that, you know, the laws in the past weren't as actually focused on shareholders, but there were a number of uh, sort of co important court cases that said, you know, companies must focus on their shareholders. Um, uh, and things like, you know, stock options and, and you know, employee pay, I, excuse me, uh, CEO pay just going through the roof, I think. Uh, Around 1970, the, the the ratio between CEO pay and average company average employee pay was like 25 or 30 to one, and now it's like 300 or something to one. Yeah. Just and I think, you know, it's this focus on shareholders that is really only a new phenomena. You know, if you consider 50 years new, uh, that has really I think it's sort of bastardized in, in in some ways. I hope that's not a swear word on your uh, no, on feel your free. podcast. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, what our economic system is in a way that has really, I think, led to a lot of destruction uh, and, and despair. This is the type of thing that you really only learn through experts or reading. You're not going to hear this type of thing in a, in a blog post or uh, on the news, which is a lot of things today we take as a given. We take as American, right? right? Like that's one of the things that bothers me most is you might get in a discussion with somebody and it's you're talking about social good and it's like, well, we are founded on innovation, which is driven by this American ideal of we're here to make money and all this. But in reality, that is such a small snippet of time yeah. that it's not it's, it's really not what we're founded on. Yet it's being used to exacerbate the divide we have all across the country and, and the world. Yeah, I, I, would, I would definitely agree with that. How attractive is it if as an entrepreneur, I go to somebody and I say, hey, I need 10 million bucks. I've got this great idea, but I'm going to be a benefit corporation. So just know that like my job is not just to give you a return. I imagine that doesn't go over well with the angel investment community or, or, or something along those lines. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I think this is definitely something that's changing rather quickly. So I've been teaching in this area for about 10 years. And, uh, and I, you know, and the acceptance of it has dramatically increased uh, during that time period. The first, you know, the sort of tone of your question is, I think, sort of most investors would be like, oh, this is this is crazy. And I think 10 years ago, that was definitely the case. But I would say, sort of two different groups. Um, one is like the impact investors. So these are, you know, investors that are actually looking for companies that actually deliver both, uh, you know, social and environmental, uh, uh, social environmental plus uh, financial uh, good. 
And I think those there's there's been an explosion in numbers of those. Uh, and I think they are very involved in this community. A number of them themselves are, are B Corps. I think, though, as well, there is increasingly uh, mainstream investors are also jumping on board. You know, for instance, one company that I, I've gotten to know a little bit is called Fifth Wall. It's a mainstream uh, uh, impact, or excuse me, mainstream venture capital private equity firm, very large uh, in the LA area, and they do a lot of things with um, real estate, uh, uh, real estate companies. So they had actually invested in two B Corps themselves, uh, one of which was Allbirds, uh, and they have a portfolio of about 50, 50 companies, I believe. And from learning about it, they end up becoming B Corp themselves, actually, but were not a a mission aligned investor initially, but but actually invested in Allbirds uh, and then ended up um, learning about it. You know, if you look at the investors in B Corps, there's a ton of mainstream venture capitalists from, you know, Kleiner Perkins to TPG, KKR, you know, the famous you know, from the 1980s, Corporate Raiders, the, I think it was RJR Nabisco, there was that, uh, a book written about them and how, you know, just these ruthless, you know, uh, like Gordon Gecko, Corporate Raider types, they actually invest in B Corps. Uh, one of the B Corps they've invested in is called Laureate, which is a education provider, uh, mostly works in the um, sort of emerging markets, de- developing world, uh, providing university uh, education for people in those uh, environments, and they uh, and, they, and they, this company's gone public. So, so this is a publicly traded uh, B Corp and benefit corporation. And for a long time, they were the only one. I think they went public in 2017. But actually, just in the last month, two other B Corps and benefit corps have gone public. Uh, one is called Lemonade, which is a insurance uh, online insurance company, and another is called Vital Farms, which is a Sort of, you know, organic, responsible um, farm company, and so, you know, this is just in the last month two have gone public. So, so, you know, these trends that I'm talking about, where ten years ago it was, you know, really sort of a very cold uh, capital market, to this increase in uh, impact investors, mainstream investors getting on board, to now, uh, you know, a number of companies are going public. So, I think that it's something where you know, the environment is changing and I think it's changing very fast. And I think in the future, we're going to see a lot more B Corps and benefit corps go public. And once that happens, I think, you know, more and more of the object- objections you're describing will um, fade away. One of the things that I think capitalism is based on is the idea that we give consumers what they want. And that is why we reap the rewards. How much of B Corp is really an extension of the trend of consumers demanding with their dollars and with their voices and with their social media, almost making it dangerous to to not be socially responsible, at least at a baseline, and optimally to go towards this B Corp designation. Yeah, I think there's definitely something to be said about that. And part, and part of it, uh, I think sort of maybe a little bit underlying your question, is demographics. Uh, so you know, there's lots of research that shows millennials, Gen Z, uh, want to have sort of purpose uh, in their life. And this is, you know, products, uh, which I think you were getting at, also work work where they want to work. So, you know, a lot of the B Corps and other socially oriented businesses I talk to describe how, you know, they have employees clamoring, um, sort of beating at the door, wanting to work there because 
it's a place where, where the employee can actually bring their values to work and feel like they're actually working on working for a company that has a larger mission than just sort of making the next widget or, or you know, providing money to the uh, investors. I think on the consumer side, which was you know, your question, you know, sort of same thing. Uh, I, I think that we, you know, I think we still have a lot further to go in, you know, consumers actually making choices based on uh, their values. But clearly, there's a big set of consumers nowadays that want, you know, companies that have a mission and um, and and are not, you know, not just greenwashing and about marketing, but actually authentically uh, delivering value to society. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that speaks to my heart when it comes to that is, as I mentioned, the nonprofit I worked on was based on healthy and sustainable food. And not that long ago, right? Seven years, let's call it. And I remember getting really into the idea of grass-fed, like grass-fed beef or free-range chicken or whatever it is. And just in that time, it is almost as as prevalent, if not more prevalent in my grocery store to find grass fed ground beef and actually bison and things like that than it is non grass fed. That to me, I think is something that is quite astonishing when you really think about it, the speed at which that has become almost a norm. And it goes to show that it can happen if the dollars flow there. Yeah, I think you're totally right. I mean, I think that, you know, you look at things like organic and I mean, you mentioned uh, Walmart, that just sort of, you know, you know, you look 25, 30 years ago, you know, organic, maybe you could get in, you know, some small, uh, small market that sort of smelled bad and, and, you know, everyone was wearing Birkenstocks. Uh, And now you, you know, there's, there's aisles and aisles in in Walmart's grocery store that has uh, organic and even, you know, things like organic cotton, which, you know, Patagonia really pioneered. Uh, and like um, and like all birds, you know, they didn't try to patent or hold on to the supply chain. They actually opened it up uh, and actually ended up competing themselves out of the market because, you know, when someone like Walmart can offer an organic cotton shirt uh, and, and do it in high volumes, much cheaper than, than, a, than a company like Patagonia. But yeah, I, I, think, I think you're right. I think that, you know, many of these, you know, there is a consumer demand uh, and thank goodness we have these sort of entrepreneurs like you know Patagonia. Right? I think Whole Foods deserves a lot of credit for really inst- institutionalizing organic um, and you know grass-fed uh, beef and and all kinds of you know products like that that are you know better for our health, better for the environment, uh, better for society. And it's great that they're more distributed in a more mainstream way. And now a quick word from this week's sponsor. This week's episode is brought to you by Audible. Audible is the leading provider of spoken word entertainment and audiobooks, ranging from bestsellers to celebrity memoirs, news, business, and self-development. As a member, every month you get one credit to pick any title, two Audible originals, access to daily news digests from the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and the Washington Post, and guided meditation programs. To get started with a free trial, head to audible.com smart or text SMART to 500-500. But listen, we're really all facing this new normal now. And as communities around the world confront new challenges, whether it's social distancing, school closures, being home from work, everyone has an immediate need to try to relax and stay entertained. This is where Audible can help. They've created Audible Stories. 
And these stories entertain, teach, and help keep our minds active, alert, and engaged. So if you've got kids that are away from school, or if you're just looking to relax, head over to stories.audible.com. There's a mix of titles that are suitable for the entire family to listen to, and each title is hand-picked to provide a balanced mix of education, entertainment, classics, and general interest content. And on top of it, the stories are available in multiple languages from English, German, French, Spanish, Japanese, and Italian. The entire stories.audible.com is completely ad-free and anonymous, so there's no need to download an app, sign in, or log in. Just click, stream, and listen. And if you're like me, maybe you've had trouble sleeping over the last few months. Well, that's where Audible Sleep comes in. This is another resource that you don't need to be a member to access these free listens, but they're only available for a limited time during the quarantine. You can head to audible.com sleep to check them out. So if you're looking to relax and learn and just become more educated, go ahead and sign up for a free Audible trial. Again, you can go to audible.com smart or text SMART to 500-500. And now back to the episode. Yeah, I mean, if you haven't noticed, the, the reason I wanted to have you on was just to make sure that like, we're not completely losing it as a society. Like, I'm just clinging to any hope, and, and this was one of them. So <laughs> Good. Well, I, ho- I ho- hope I made your day. <laughs> you're, you're getting me there. You're getting me there. Now, uh, you mentioned a couple of things that I think are lesser known, but perhaps as I'm reading from you, even more important, which is the B Corp model. Yeah, it might be great for consumers, but really a lot of the focus is on the employee, is on the town that the company is located in. It's really, it's looking at a holistic view. Yeah, I definitely. I mean, I think that, you know, many people ask me like what the economic benefit of being a B Corp is. Um, and I think, you know, maybe some, you do, you do get some, on the marketing side and through, you know, reputation and image being a good actor, people, people wanting to buy from you. But I think the, the big sort of impact is on the employees having a, you know, culture with a purpose and a mission is something that brings, you know, brings people together in a really effective way. And, you know, retention uh, and attraction of employees is a tremendous expense for businesses and getting, if you can get excellent employees, it's a really, um, and get them to stay. It's a, it's a huge win. And, and I think, you know, your question, you're mentioning things like communities too. I think, yeah, this is something, if you think about the stakeholders that exist in the sort of universe of, you know, sort of the company's uh, ecosystem, uh, you know, being positive community actors, you know, is something that, you know, helps the long-term sustainability of the company because that's usually where the employees uh, live suppliers is another one actually you know having close close-knit supply relationships with you know individuals you can count on is another big uh, benefit so i think it's you know i think your question was actually more about like benefits to outside the company but i see it as really a win-win where it delivers a lot um, delivers a lot to, to the society to the environment but also really pays itself back for the company too that is such a great point. I know there's so many people that can vibe with this or understand this. Just as an anecdote, it reminded me of my first career was in commercial real estate lending. And I, I very clearly remember I was 21 years old, you know, so it's over 15 years ago. And I had in front of me a um, like a 
a photocopy of a check that somebody had sent in. We were we were doing some loan for them. And there were a lot of zeros on this check. I can't remember if it was five or six, but a lot of zeros. And I remember thinking, I just got off the phone. These people are almost berating me over a few basis points, right? A few very mm-hmm. small percentage points of this loan. And then they're just willy-nilly handing out this check with a lot of zeros. Now, I realize there's a lot more complexity in that, and I'm not trying to get into it. My point is, it was at that point that I said, I don't really think I can do this because all I'm doing is making rich people richer. I mean, that's genuinely how I viewed my job. And I still, to this day, think a lot of that is that. However, I could have been in the same industry. And instead of that, if it was, we are truly providing housing for those that can't afford it by using unique financial vehicles. I mean, that's something I, I would have worked harder for and longer for. Right. And so e- even from the most basic frontline employee perspective, you're right. That could be a extremely beneficial designation to have or, 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 or belief system to go through. Yeah, no, I, 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 that's, you know, the, the extent to which I have heard that from employees from, um, you know, for, from the companies I talk to is, is amazing. I mean, it's, it's really, uh, and the retention numbers for these companies is very, very high. You mentioned something earlier that I have, it's one of the notes I wrote down, long-term perspective. You mentioned how that's part of this model, right? They're able to take a longer-term perspective. And that is something that stuck out to me because one of my greatest arguments towards more of, I guess, a liberal ideal is, in my opinion, for the most part, the government is the only entity that can get done things that require a horizon greater than the next quarter. Now, of course, everyone out there could use examples of SpaceX and whatnot. Well, Elon Musk is is a man, is the man. Okay, but for the right. most part, right? Like, think about if uh, when we went to the moon, he was like, "Hey, we're going to go to the moon, but the government's not going to support it." We need private investment to do it. It would have never happened. Do you think that the B Corp is actually helping to solve that problem of allowing businesses to really look, how can I change the future of the world in in 10 years rather than worry about my quarterly financial statement? You know, I think uh, I think the, the B Corp uh, model, yeah, I think, provides a really effective way for how to actually, you know, operate in, in an effective uh, long-term way. But I do think that the idea of moving beyond just sort of quarterly pressure is something that has been building sort of elsewhere in, in either large, also large corporations, among inve- even among investors. Uh, you know, you're probably familiar with, it was, a, it was probably in August or September of last year, 2019, the CEOs of the 200 largest U.S. companies came together yeah. as part of their business round, the business roundtable, and articulated a um, a new vision for what a corporation should be. It should be about the stakeholders, the employees, the environment, the community, uh, as opposed to just being about uh, the shareholders. So I think that's sort of one indication that people are starting to look more long term. Uh, I think another indication is. And this is a little bit less direct one, but if you look at actually the number of companies that are public, um, you know, I, I think, you know, you look on sort of NASDAQ and the New York Stock Exchange, 
you know, I think maybe 10 years ago, 15 years ago, there was maybe 10,000. You know, I think it's under 6,000 now. I think that, you know, companies are choosing to stay private, uh, to not actually have to go through this sort of quarterly um, quarterly rigmarole and really pressure. So, so I think that there's a lot of indications that, you know, this idea of getting off this, you know, quarterly hamster wheel, so to speak, is uh, is present in in the mainstream as well. And and the reason why I think the B Corp model is so important for this is that, you know, if you look at a big critique of the business roundtable statement. Um, and what they said, you know, they, I think it's the Council of, in, of Institutional Investors came out and said, you know, this accountability to everyone is accountability to no one in that, you know, the reason why actually shareholder primacy is useful is that, you know, it's actually simple to have one number uh, to shoot for. And if you, you know, or have to take care of employees, have to take care of community, uh, this will just create all kinds of difficult decision-making and waste. And I think that uh, the, the B Corp model actually puts rigor behind, uh, through this uh, accountability and measurement system that I talked about, uh, you know, puts rigor behind actually meeting stakeholder needs in a way that companies are account- can be accountable uh, and, can, and can manage themselves effectively uh, in a stakeholder way. So I think um, yeah, so sort of long, long, long-winded answer. I'm sorry to no, the no. question of how um, you know, sort of, sort of getting off this quarterly treadmill um, is something that's been, I think, people have been wanting to do for a while, and I think that that the B Corp model is really helpful to do it. It makes me hopeful because I often think, why would they want to change the system? And when I say they, it's all the people that are benefiting right. from said system. It, it reminds me a lot of politics, right? Where I'm like, yeah. you know a lot of politicians, their sole job is to get reelected. And I think that's ridiculous. Like just put term limits on them or, you know, and, and it's similar with businesses. How are they ever supposed to truly focus on the long run if we are incentivizing them for the short run? I just, it doesn't make sense to me. So with that, I want to ask you this. You wrote a book on this. I'm sure at some point in writing this, you thought, I want to sell books, right? (laughs) Because you're never right to say, I don't want to sell. But in order to sell books, the average person needs to not only care, but but benefit in some way. Why does the average person need to know this? Yeah, so I think that's a great question. Uh, And I I do hope to to sell books. So So listeners, you can go onto your... Local independent bookstore online, or even or even Amazon, wherever. Please, please pick up a copy. Uh, but yeah, but, but seriously, I, I I think that there's a few uh, things that are that are that are that are important. So, uh, sort of audiences, if if you think that I hope that will uh, pick up the book. So one is beyond B Corps, um, sort of mainstream entrepreneurs and corporate leaders. You know this. You know I think that these. CEOs from the business roundtable, you know, it's really, it was real surprising and actually a little disappointing to me. Uh, you know, these, the business roundtable, they came out with a statement. I think they thought everyone's going to pat them on the back and, and they end up getting a bunch of critique about, you know, one of which was about this accountability. Uh, you know, I think what they should have done is said, you know what, we, we do need to think about this model of being accountable. Uh, you know, give us six months uh, and then they, and then they can come back with, you know, uh, something a little bit more sort of actually elaborate and, and detailed, but they didn't really say anything. 
Uh, I think that, that that group would be a great candidate to, to buy and read this book because they could sort of learn how to sort of walk the talk, so to speak, and not just say something, but actually imp- implement it. So I do think that business leaders from large corporations uh, to you know more entrepreneurial firms uh, is one audience that I would say really should read this book if you do believe in with the Business Roundtable and the World Economic Forum, actually their January meeting in 2020, um, um, you know, actually was focused on on shifting the stakeholder model as well. I think that as well, you know, I mentioned a, a little earlier that that there's we could go further with consumers on, on this, and I think that that for you know if people are open minded to actually learning about how to be a conscious consumer. Uh, I think that's, you know, another set of folks that might be uh, interested in the book. And, you know, the, in some ways, elephant in the room that we, we haven't talked about yet is, you know, when I wrote this book and when the Business Roundtable uh, came out with their statement and, you know, we were in a very different world than we are now. Uh, and I think that, you know, with the, you know, uh, COVID uh, pandemic, with the attention to, you know, uh, spotlight uh, on systemic racial injustice issues, you know, having a more sort of resilient and sustainable uh, system of capitalism is more important now than ever. And so I think that, you know, for all those reasons, I think that people should um, should, pick, should pick up the book and, and, and take a look. Yeah. And these things are part of movements. I mean, I right. think a lot of times we can get frustrated, especially during this pandemic where we're kind of isolated and think all the things out there, all the unrest, all the anger and all the the protesting and all the voices that are being heard. Are they going to fall back on deaf ears eventually? Are we going to go back to the way things were? And I think it's easy to believe that. But I can tell you from my perspective, talking with companies on almost a daily basis, uh, consulting with them, companies are are actively hiring, you know, diversity and inclusion professionals. They are training their workforce on it. It it is, it is blown up. And I say that just because in, in line with B Corp and in line with the pandemic, what you're talking about, these things do create ripples, which create waves. And, you know, this can be just one of them. It's one that, again, I remember when I first heard of it 10 years ago, thinking, this should be how business is done where, yeah, we try and make money, but do good in the process. So um, that's why I wanted to learn about it. I also want to talk to you about, I know that when you were at Harvard, you developed a course on social entrepreneurship. And if it's okay with you, I'd love to spend the last sure. 10 minutes just kind of talking about that. Great. Yeah. Um, a lot of people that listen to this podcast are socially driven, uh, meaning they want to do good. They're very entrepreneurial, want to create new things, et cetera. If we could talk a little bit about, first and foremost, when you were developing and then teaching this course, what did you find to be the most important thing you needed to get across to students about social entrepreneurship, becoming an entrepreneur in this space? Sure. So so a couple of things. One, I just want to back up a little bit and say sort of, you know, why I ended up developing that course. I mean, it's so, and it actually relates to why I wrote the book uh, too. Uh, uh, you know, what, I was teaching a class actually on corporate social responsibility and, you know, looked at large companies that do a lot of great stuff like IBM, 
you know, Goldman Sachs, people criticize a lot and maybe justified, but has done a lot of really innovative and, and, and really high impact things in the, in the, in the social, um, social responsibility space. Timberland and, you know, another well-known company. You know, one day in class, um, a student said to me, uh, you know, I don't know why we're studying all these large companies that have these tacked on CSR programs. You know, we should be studying companies that actually have a social mission at their core, like B corporations. And I think this was in 2009. I'd never heard of what a B corporation was. Uh, and, you know, that comment really got me interested in this space. And I ended up dropping that old course and creating a new one that was really focused on the smaller companies that had social mission at their core. Uh, you know, some, but not all, were, were B Corps. Uh, because it was something that the students were really interested in, passionate, and something I knew that I could learn a lot from from them too. Because you know, I, it's something they had; they were much more the, the, uh, their fingers on the pulse of it than I I did. So, you know, that's sort of how it came about. And I think that uh, one of the things that I always um, resonated with me from our discussions is that so many of these companies, and it really sort of turns. Um, sort of business on its head in some ways uh, are are some of the most innovative companies uh, in the world. And if you think about it, you know, our world is set up in, in a way that, you know, business, you know, businesses are businesses, nonprofits are nonprofits, you know, this sort of hybrid between company of companies that are trying to have a social mission, like don't fit in like the existing categories that we have. And this has resulted, I think, in many really sort of innovative and interesting creative uh, things. Like, for instance, the Allbirds example that I gave where, you know, they develop this technology for their souls that, that uh, you know, gives back to the environment. And they say, OK, everyone can, uh, you know, can, can use this. Patagonia, you know, uh, started on Black uh, Friday, you know, the big sales day after Thanksgiving. You know, uh, giving you know, giving away all of its or high percentage of its sales. I can't remember the details. But then also had an active program of like, don't buy from us, which is I think totally authentic and actually repairs all of its products for free because it doesn't want people to be in in these sort of uh, uh, you know these these like cycles of, of of consumerism and to actually buy quality things and keep them for a long time. I have a Patagonia jacket. I've had it for maybe eight or nine years. I've sent it back to them three times to repair, not their problem. Those things like I, my pocket got hooked on a, on, on something and ripped and they wow. fixed, it, fixed it for free. Uh, and so this idea that a company is discouraging sales or um, Grayston Bakery, which is here in the New York area where, where I am, started this open hiring, uh, which basically, you know, they, they don't interview for, they just, if you, it's first come first serve. And their idea is that, you know, this is a much more socially uh, equitable thing because, you know, so there's so much sort of discrimination and, and people, you know, from prison populations to other you know, homeless end up not getting hired. Uh, and if the, you can just come in and get a job, uh, this is something that is, you know, sort of much actually much more equitable. That's like a really interesting uh, the idea of a benefit corporation also, I think, a really sort of new way of thinking outside the box. So I guess that sort of one of the things that I would take away from the class, I think the students did, is that the innovations these companies are making to, 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 to 
to effectively exist in this hybrid hybrid zone are you know truly creative and out of the box um, uh, thinking. Uh, I think the second thing is that a lot of what these companies are about is not just about selling products and services, but about more about greater systemic change. Uh, so they're really, you know, using their products as a way to change the overall uh, system. So I think the Allbirds example is another one of those. So I think those are, the, you know, two of the things that these companies are some of the most innovative companies uh, in the world, in my opinion, because of having to operate in this very um, sort of constrained uh, environment. And then also that they're, you know, trying to change the overall system. Yeah, it's a really good background on uh, what they do and and how that fosters innovation, which is what everybody's looking to do today. How do you think that relates to the solopreneur right now? You know, I know from my perspective with an entrepreneurial bent in my mind, it always gets a little discouraging when I hear about entrepreneurialism and then I hear about somebody like Allbirds or Patagonia because I think I don't, I don't want to be them. Like, I just want to create something that I can do and maybe it will turn into that. But from that perspective in your class, did you talk at all about how to get started as a social entrepreneur or where to begin? I mean, this is where the students are. So many of them, um, you know, part, part, part of the class was always about uh, we had sort of student projects uh, where, you know, you know, some of it would be just sort of made up, which, you know, sort of create your own social business. But some of them were things that people were actually working on. Um, and, uh, you know, one example, uh, you know, I taught the class uh, last year at Cornell Tech uh, here in New York City, where I am. And one of the students was starting, uh, you know, I think it was a solopreneur uh, company. It's called Grow. And it provided like. Uh, feedback and 360 evaluations um, through like Slack and other digital means. And, you know, he found that, you know, he took, he took the class and actually ended up incorporating a sort of social mission component in his class. Uh, And it's sort of, like I said, where people, they want to work for companies that are, you know, sort of resonant with their values. You know, he, he uh, said that this was something that, you know, it allowed him to bring his values into his uh, business and actually, you know, deliver, um, you know, deliver, deliver social goods. So I think it's, you know, you know, how it differs a little bit from regular entrepreneurship getting started is that, you know, the least the entrepreneurs that I've talked to that have done it have it's it gives you a way to, you know, you know, bring yourself to the table in a more sort of authentic way. What a great insight. Like, really, I mean, these are one of the things that I try and pull out from every episode. And it's this idea, right? We all know, I mean, heck, all you need to do is look at any survey about the amount of unengaged people in the workforce today. But a lot of that is because we feel we can't be our whole selves. We can't bring our passions, our our self to the table, right? Well, I mean, like you were saying, imagine this company's 360 degree feedback in a Slack environment, something like that. Okay. Basically it's layering a process on top of an existing technology. You could take that very Silicon Valley, uh, just trying to scale, uh, going after the, the angel investment type mentality, or you could maybe do that. But on top of it, it's we're doing this because we want to create more conscious leaders in a fast paced environment that are building their teams out based on, you know, their team's feedback. 
something like that, right? Two completely different stories you get to tell. And guess what? Two completely different types of talent you're going to draw. It's really, it's interesting how you're saying it allows you to bring your values to the table. I, I think that's fascinating. Great. And, and that certainly vibes with the uh, podcast that I've listened to. So, I mean, it seems it's, yeah. There you go, right? We essentially are a B Corp or basically a nonprofit, but you know, it's like, <laughs> and the people that listen, that's why I was saying it, you know, it's, it's the same thing. You could go listen to a, a Tim Ferriss or a Pat Flynn and try and figure out how to make more money, money, nothing wrong with that. But you come here to hopefully expand your mind, knowing that it will benefit you and those around you. So there's my sales pitch. Well, Chris, it's been a blast. I really appreciate it. Again, the book is Better Business, How the B Corp Movement is Remaking Capitalism. Before we let you go, tell us a little bit about, um, I read a few of your articles, so where we can find you, what you're up to next, any any goods that you want to pass along? Yeah, sure. So I, my website is just uh, my name, chrismarquis.com. Um, and, you know, please uh, take, a, take a look and reach out if you're interested in this topic, you know. One of the things that's you know, that I love about my job is that I can I'm always learning, and so you know I love to learn about new companies, new social businesses. Um, you know, if you look on, um, on on my web, you can see I do I publish about once a week articles on companies I've recently studied on Forbes, and then also on Medium. Uh, people can take a look at those, and you know maybe if. Um, you know, there maybe if you know so, someone contacts me, I might be interested in doing something on on their firm as well. So I'm constantly, you know, learning and writing about new things. And so, so those are the places to find me. That's, that's fantastic. Yeah. Giving those companies that are doing good a voice. I mean, Hey, I'll back that. Yeah. Super. Thanks so much, Chris. I'm a big fan of your show and it's great to be part of it. All right. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Christopher Marquis. Christopher's book, Better Business, How the B Core Movement is Remaking Capitalism, will be available on September 13th, wherever books are sold. I know you've probably heard this spiel over 350 times now, but I'll keep reminding you so that you keep reaching out to us. So if you ever want to reach out to the show, you can email us at smartpeoplepodcast at gmail.com, or you can message us on Twitter at smartpeoplepod. And if you're asking yourself how you can support the show, you can always head over to wherever you downloaded the podcast and leave us a rating or review. Or if you want to support us monetarily, you can head over to Patreon, patreon.com slash smartpeoplepodcast. And if you want to stay up to date all things Smart People Podcast, head over to our website, smartpeoplepodcast.com, and sign up for the newsletter. If you're anything like me, you feel like you're living Groundhog Day over and over and over again. So I hope you're doing well. Hope you're staying safe. And I hope that we just continue to be part of your day. All right, that's it for us this week. Make sure you stay tuned because we've got a lot of great interviews coming up and we'll see you all next episode.